Good morning. I'm Pastor Ed, one of the pastors here. Um, Trevor, when you were standing up here and you looked at the picture of your family and you uh, were going to um, say something about Sarah and tears came to your eyes, there's no shame whatsoever in those tears. None. Um, and for any elder, um, often, I, I like the saying that has stuck with me, often tears speak louder than words. That's the mystery of the human heart. Sometimes we're oblivious to really what's going on down there and then out here on the surface, some symptoms erupt that inter, uh, inter, um, interrupt our life and, and call our attention to something greater going on. If we have ears to listen. So ears to listen even to tears. That's what we're going to talk about this morning in Ephesians 4. Um, we are in a series, I well, uh, Derek titled, Walk Worthily. Walk Worthily. Last week we saw what it meant as a church to walk worthily in a healthy way as God has designed it. And up ahead, after this passage of Scripture, 4, 17 to 24, we are going to start looking at what it means to walk worthily as an individual. But it's like we come to this passage of Scripture, 17 to 24, chapter 4, 17 to 24, and he says, however, before you go ahead, this is a prerequisite. For you to get the benefit of the rest of Ephesians, you have to understand a foundational truth that's contained right here in 4, 17 to 24. In other words, he says, first things first. You see, there's no reason to talk about your behaviors, the, the symptoms out here on the surface. There's no reason to talk about your doing until you get the being right. We are reminded in today's text that we are a human being, not a human doing. For the Christian life to function properly, there is something a person must understand first. Our tendency is to jump right over this prerequisite and go right to the symptoms. Go right to the behaviors that are on display because they are in our face. They shout at us. And in so doing, we miss, myself included, an essential message of Jesus Christ and what it means to be a follower of Christ. I think we'd rather jump with it. We would rather just deal with the symptoms, the behaviors on the surface, because what Christ calls us to is scary work. You may not want to do it, in fact, it's so scary that some people will choose to stay in self-defeating behaviors, inflicting pain on themselves, because what Christ calls us to is so painful, is greater, and they would rather avoid it. But to walk worthily. 
for the rest of Ephesians to do the work that God intends, you do not have a choice. Because of what's in 17 to 24 is essential work. It's at the bullseye of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Walk worthily. Most of the time, we focus only on symptoms of what it means, behaviors. However, walking worthily is made up of qualities that cannot be seen. See, we saw the near tears in Trevor's eyes, and if tears come, we see them, but we don't know what that reflects deeper with inside Trevor. We derive and interpret what we believe they mean, but we're left to deal with the symptoms on the outside. See, walking worthily is attitudinal in nature. It's spiritual, meaning you can't see it. We only see symptoms of a life walking worthily. We see symptoms, and we've learned to draw conclusions from those symptoms. Sometimes they're accurate conclusions, sometimes not. But we need to be careful and understand that's all they are. Our conclusions that we are making based upon some symptoms. Because Scripture tells us only God can see the human heart. Where else are we? We're told that the heart is deceitful, and who can understand it? In fact, this is so crazy that sometimes we fool ourselves. Sometimes we think we know what's inside of us. And then we become surprised by things that come to the surface. We may surprise ourselves by symptoms that rise up and get our attention. We may give the appearance as though we're walking worthily because that's our nature is to draw conclusions from symptoms. And so we might even think that we're walking worthily and yet it doesn't reside in our heart. That's what it means when our heart is deceitful. We can even deceive our own selves, let alone another person. We display symptoms of humility when actually pride and ego and self is driving the appearance of it. Walk worthily means we are being made new, and as a result, our behaviors begin to reflect it. It's a deeper work. It's a deeper work than just engineering our symptoms and behaviors out here on the surface. What we might call behavior modification, modifying our behavior to fit in our Christian culture or within society at large. Christ calls us to a much deeper work, a much more challenging work, in some ways a much more complex work. He's asking us to make deep changes inside ourselves, a radical transformation. And out of that transformation, behaviors and symptoms start to percolate out to the surface that are consistent 
with what Christ is doing inside of us. You know, I would look at the rest of Ephesians. I meant this is kind of a little transition as we go uh, to the rest of Ephesians. And so uh, think of the rest of Ephesians, what we're going to, and this is just a, a preparation for it, as a well-being inventory. See, um, I remember at staff meeting, you know, I kind of boasted and had fun saying, hey, I'm near 65, I'm going to go on uh, Medicare. You know, I was kind of joking, but now that I'm on Medicare and two years in, I, I'm kind of don't want to boast about it any longer. <laughs> but one thing I learned about Medicare is that they keep reminding you, you got to have your well-being exam. I didn't know anything about it. You younger folks, who knows? They may not even have it by then. Uh, but they have this well-being, uh, well-being exam and that you have to um, go to your doctor and they're going to go through a list of questions, such as, uh, can you walk without falling down? Can you organize your own medicine and take it? See, so they, they can you walk without falling down? Uh, they want to know that if you're starting to manifest uh, symptoms of dizziness, they will ask, okay, what's underneath that? What's causing that dizziness? See, they're asking questions because they're looking at all of these symptoms, dizziness or the incoherency of the mind, to try to determine what's happening deeper within the person. To get well for healing, um, it's not just the treatment of those symptoms that they're after, but they want to get to the disease itself. Things manifest themselves on the surface first before often we realize something's wrong inside of us. Paul is going to start talking about symptoms here in Ephesians. Symptoms. Symptoms. We're going to hear a catalog, an inventory of symptoms. And you need to ask yourself, hmm, does this symptom reflect anything what's true about me on the inside. Does it reveal that there's something wrong in my heart? He's going to start talking about anger, holding grudges, stealing, hard work, slander, the words you use, sexual immoral immorality, sensuality, greed, drunkenness. Our relationships we have as husbands, wives, parents, and children, employer, and employee. All of these are a great context to allow a deeper truth that God wants to see percolate to the surface to work its way out in. If you're willing to submit yourself. However, it, well... Um, many people would rather than go for the well-being exam, would rather just ignore it, skip it. It's so frightening. It's so frightening. Uh, they, they would choose to live in ignorance, uh, spend their life just chasing symptoms, pretending, living in this illusion that everything's okay. Fear. I, I, rather than submit, um, 
to the, in this case, what we'll be looking at, rather than to uh, submit myself to the inventory of Ephesians as we go further, I'd rather live in ignorance. I would rather live in darkness. We are afraid of the truth that's inside of us. So we would prefer to just jump over this work and not do it. Each individual has to do this work. Nobody can do it for you. The only, the only thing that people are responding to are symptoms. Only you can do this work. But you're going to have to tackle the fear and the tendency to jump over it. When it comes to this work of the soul that I'm talking about, we are our own biggest enemy. Somebody told the story uh, like this. I don't know where it is. I couldn't go back to it, so I, I just refabricated in my mind. Far as I know, some, somebody famous has uh, spoken these words. If so, let me know later. Because it's probably a common story used time and time again. A person was being chased in a dark cave by someone. Occasionally, while running, he would glance backward to see if the person is gaining on him, and at the same time, try to determine if they recognized them. The room was too dark to make out the face. He was chased deeper and deeper in the cave until he came to a dead end. He could go, he could not go any further. There was no escaping. He had to stand and face the person who was chasing him. He had no other choice. The person chasing him caught up with him and he turned around to face him. There was the smallest, smallest of crack in the ceiling of the cave that allowed a little light to stream in, but enough allowing him to see the face. And it was himself. I do believe we are our own worst enemy. And we do not recognize it. Let us quit running. Let's pray for courage to face the truth. So that I and my friends, if you're suffering, if you are caught in some aspect of self-defeating behavior, you too can be healed. This is the pathway to walk worthily. This is what I believe we will see right here in our text this morning of Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. And I, I have um, outlined it. We're going to look at our condition, our condition, then our transformation. And then I know it may say on the overhead when it shows uh, our rest, but I would rather term it our fulfillment or our fruitfulness, to kind of to wrap it up. That's what God is after. We are designed to be fruitful and fulfilled in Christ. And that's where this pathway leads. leads. So first, our condition. Look at Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of your thinking. 
He first tells us what authority that Paul is speaking. Some versions will say, I testify in the Lord. So these are not just Paul's words, but he's talking with the authority of God. These are Ephesians' believer who's responded to Jesus Christ, but yet they're going back to a former way of life. Don't do it. You must no longer live as Gentiles. He speaks of Gentiles here not in a national sense, because these are folks who come to Christ. They're not Jews. They have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But these are folks now who are committed to a monotheistic God, a one God, as opposed to a plurality of gods, like their culture. But yet their behaviors, the symptoms they are manifesting, give the appearance as though they've gone back and they live like Pagans. And he says, don't live in that futility. Meaning waste. Don't, don't return to such self-defeating behaviors. You're doing your own self in. Ephesians 4, 18 to 19 goes on then. Uh, um, What's happening here? They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Stop there, but I I have a list because some people look at, at, in verses uh, Ephesians 4, 18, 19, really at layers of sin that are contained within our heart. And the deepest of them is the hardening of the heart. Because even read in our text in Ephesians 4, 18, 19, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. So even the darkening and the ignorance comes out of the hardening of their hearts. It says, the darkening and the ignorance that is in them, that is in them due to the hardening of the heart. So, ignorance, darkening may get your attention. But even that is a little bit more difficult to uh, realize whether there is an aspect of ignorance and darkening that is contained. But then, some symptoms of what's going on in, in the heart percolate closer to the surface. In verse 18, they've lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity They are full of greed. Slowly, what is in the heart works its way to the surface. Eventually, it will work its way to the surface. And that's what the remainder of Ephesians will be. 
how it might work its way to the surface, and God wants to use it to get your attention. As we look at what it means to walk worthily, as we look at the catalog of behaviors in the concluding part of this letter. By nature, I am hard towards God. We're all born hard-hearted. We would not know any other category other than being hard-hearted if God in His grace not chose to reveal a contrast. There's a contrast of soft-heartedness. God's grace allows cracks to invade the wall of my hard-heartedness and allows just a pinprick of light sometimes to enter through the smallest of cracks to spring, uh, uh, to, to show me how hard my heart is. The question, will I quit running? Will I turn around and face the truth? I encourage us to use the rest of Ephesians as a diagnostic tool to quit running and allow God's Spirit to do His work. You could say all sin, all sin, are those behaviors that we might classify as not walking worthily work its way back to this posture that we have when we come into this world of a hard-heartedness. He wants to change that. Because he's created you not for hard-heartedness. That's the natural tendency. He's created you for soft-heartedness or something different. And so let's look at our transformation. How do you stop living out of a hard-heartedness that is futile, that is self-defeating. Ephesians 4.20, that, however, is not the way you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You heard about Christ. There are two things that we see operating here in verses 20 and 21. The first is, you heard about Christ. You got information about Christ. You heard the evidence about Christ. You heard the teachings about Christ. You gathered a lot of uh, information, but then there's a second aspect. It says you were taught in Him. You heard about Him, and secondly, you were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Walk worthily means we learn about Christ and we learn what it means to be in Christ. Significant. In Bible college, I took a Life of Christ class and we used the parallel Bible as our text, you know, where you put all four gospel writings uh, of Jesus Christ. 
from the different writers. It was exhaustive. They figured, you know, man, if Christian college, we're going to give this guy a Christian diploma. He better know a lot about the life of Christ. I took my final, and guess what? I passed. I'm not going to give you an opportunity to respond when I say, guess what? So that was just rhetorical. I passed. I could then boast that I know a lot about Jesus Christ. However, consider the words of the Apostle Paul. Of anybody who might have boasted about how well he knew Jesus Christ, you would surely think it would be the Apostle Paul. But even the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, he says, I want to know Christ. See, this is a different kind of knowing. This is what it means to be taught in Him. Absorb Jesus. Soak in Jesus so that He starts to influence areas of your life that have been shut off. Allow it to uh, start to... um, um, Uh, work its way into the fibers of your mental, intellectual, and emotional process and how it works itself to the surface. Knowing Jesus in this way, he he actually becomes part of your identity. It's kind of like my dad, Jim Sutter, my dad. I know a lot about my dad. He was born in July 1930. Was it 1930, Mel? Okay, 25. 20. Okay. Oh, yeah, 10 years difference. I'm sorry. I, I, I looked about it. I, I knew July. So, July 1920. <laughs> he graduated Salem High School. He went to the Northwest uh, Business School up in Portland. He was employed in Prineville and uh, down in Southern Oregon before uh, World War II took him as a, uh, in the Navy and then the Korean conflict and Comes back here to uh, Dallas with Gerlinger Carrier Company, Tow Motor Caterpillar, and that's what uh, brought him back here to this area of Dallas. So I know I know a lot about his interest of fishing and I'm uh, not hunting, but fishing and camping, and I could go on and on and on. So I know a lot about Jim Setter, but I lived in his house and under his roof during some very formative years where, where you know, like I, I was a sponge. Not knowingly, but learning what it meant to be a man, to, to uh, be productive, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I started absorbing some things. And, and you realize this learning, learning in somebody is taking place when somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, Ed, I see Jim Sutter in you. You take it, you're not manufacturing it. You're not going out of your way to give this appearance of an aspect of Jim Sutter. See, this is what Ephesians is calling us to. This is how we transform. This is how we go from a hard-heartedness to a soft-heartedness when we learn and hear about Jesus and we learn in him. In verse 22, we are told to put off your former way of life, your old self, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Put off your old self, the former way of life. All of these verbs are couch, uh, the putting off you will see here, and later I think it's in verse 24, of putting on are all past tense. When you receive Jesus Christ, this has already happened. You have put off the old way, the way of the pagans. Um, Let's get pagans. That's probably not culturally correct, Don. I'm sorry. I know you don't care about that. But uh, those who are more a plural of gods, quit following those that believe the earth is God and and, uh, all these deities are our God. Stay true to the one God revealed through the God of the prophets, the God of your forefathers. Don't go back. This has already happened. Don't, you are not designed to be a changed artist, you know, like on the America's Got Talent, you know, and they occasionally have these, who, who they can flip through costumes by putting a curtain in front of them and boop, they change. You're not designed to do that. Changing in that manner, uh, it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy. God is at work helping us with recognizing and strengthening us in the inner being so that we put on Christ. That we become clothed in Christ. That we live in it. That's, that's what happened when we received Jesus Christ. It's still true. Now live in that truth that you are clothed in Jesus Christ. May that understanding help you uh, when you feel the pressure of the culture, the pressure in your own mind to return to a former way of bondage. Paul uses this imagery of putting on and taking up garments to illustrate what happens when we receive Christ. You have put on Christ. It's not something you take off. You take off the different roles you have. Doctor, businessman, parent, father, pastor. Uh, You have different roles. But the clothing that we are in Jesus Christ is constant. Some illustrate this at at baptism. Um, Some churches, that is, uh, illustrate this at at baptism. uh, What it means to... Uh, be putting on Jesus Christ. And I kind of like the, the picture of it. Uh, when, they, when the baptismal candidate comes out of the water, they put on them they put on them a brand new white robe. This signifies putting on Christ. Now, not putting on and taking off. That's roles that we have. This is something, spiritually now, because I will take this robe off, spiritually that you do not take off. Think of wearing this white robe 24-7. Figuratively, 
So as you're engaged with life, as maybe symptoms percolate to the surface that you're not happy with about, about yourself, maybe you can take a step back and just envision, how am I to respond since I'm clothed with Christ? Don't compartmentalize your life, but see putting on Christ at the heart level and allow it to form and shape how you respond to all your circumstances. I really like the one story I have read about, and I just want to challenge somebody in our audience, next time we do baptism, this would be incredibly great. He wanted to be baptized in his three-piece suit. Yeah. And so can't you just see that person coming up there? Three-piece suit, he goes down, he comes up, and then when he comes out, they put the white robe on him. See, he's still a businessman. He still has a variety of roles, but this one thing transcends who he is in Christ, and he's been clothed with Jesus Christ. I don't think anybody in here has a three-piece business suit anymore. Some of us maybe, but we won't fit in them. But anyway, that's a, that's a whole different story. We are our worst enemy because rather than doing this work, this soul work that God calls us to, we'd rather take the easy way out and return to an old or former way of life. We'd rather run from self, but you cannot run from God. I'm learning to face my fears and the truth. I'm learning to face the condition of my, my heart. Don't ever get tired of it. See, God is giving us the structure in which he invites us to do this work. He's providing the resources, but this heart thing is so deep and so challenging, it's lifelong. There will be layers after layers that God will reveal as you apply yourself to the variety of symptoms that you struggle with that manifest themselves in your life. Don't return to the old way of running from yourself. Face the truth. The scripture tells us that you are being renewed in your mind. Allow that renewal to work. So with less thought, uh, you know, with, with less self-consciousness, somebody's going to surprise you and come up and say, I see Jesus Christ in you. Continually learn Christ by wherever you are, whatever you're doing. If it helps you, imagine this white robe that you're adorned with yourself. Because you are in Christ. If you responded to Christ, you have put on Christ. It's just that you may be living like the Gentiles. This is our chance for all of us to turn back.
to live out of the truth that is in us. And the last thing here is the fruitfulness and fulfillment. Um, in Ephesians there, 4. Ephesians 4, 24. And put on the new self. The new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We're created to be like God. Big difference between being God and like God. But we are created to be like God. So anything that is counterproductive, that goes the opposite direction of like Godness, uh, is counterproductive, which is an old way of life. Don't go there. You've been clothed in Christ. In what way are we created to be like God? It tells us there in true righteousness and holiness. Holiness and righteousness is when our lives no longer are fractured and divided between the old way of living and the new way. Righteousness and holiness is when we quit running from self and we confess the hardness of our heart. And we live wholly, fully devoted to God. Not divided. Our, our tendency is to want to live a divided life. Righteousness and holiness is when we quit living this divided life and we are wholly devoted to Him as His child. Holy and righteousness is when our inner heart and our outward behaviors are in sync. Are in sync. Or one whole to what God my Father calls me to. And my response lines up, and it's consistent with Him increasingly. So quit running. Face your hard-heartedness so that you begin to hear about Jesus and you learn in Jesus. You absorb him into your life. Take Jesus into the core of your identity at the deepest level. And as I say, the weeks ahead, jump on it now. Come prepared. Don't let Pastor Derek surprise you. Look at the warnings and the behaviors that are going to be coming up. And just invite God's Spirit as we prepare for these next few weeks, uh, going into Ephesians, for them to uh, uh, self-inventory. This isn't where I go and I start looking at my brother Mel and saying, well, Mel, here, look, you hear it, Scripture. No, self-inventory. What a great opportunity for us, church family. 
be free in a greater measure in Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer. Thank you, Father, for being gracious, for being so gracious. You know, our hard-heartedness, you don't uh, blow us out of the water. Uh, My goodness, so patient. Give us the courage, Lord, to allow the words of Ephesians, since they're alive, and they can seep into the uh, deepest sinews and fibers of our inner being. They can work its way into levels that we uh, want to open to you. Thank you for being gracious and not leaving us stuck in the pain, the heartache, the brokenness, the tears of a life that is hard-hearted. But you have provided the words, the resources, that we can change and become soft-hearted. Give us the courage in Christ's name. Amen.